to action's antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One narrative that we have in our current day culture that I find particularly suffocating, and I observed a lot of people that have also felt suffocated by this, is this narrative that you have to pick just one thing and that one thing has to be a clearly defined item from some sort of a previously conceived list of jobs. And it kind of plays into the whole question, what do you do? And one of the reasons I tend to dislike that question is because it tends to put your identity into one of however many job description boxes you have. I am an engineer and that's the only thing about me. My guest today, Mishanda Lindsay, has a couple of different endeavors as well as her primary endeavor in coaching, which doesn't necessarily fit into the box that we consider coaching. Mishanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I'm delighted to be here today. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And one thing I'm wondering is you describe yourself as a coach because that's kind of how people wrap their brains around your services. But give us a little orientation into what your services really are about. You're right, Stephen. I have a really challenging time describing myself according to the labels that many people are so used to using. And because I know it helps in understanding, I relent and I do use the title of coach. I would say what I provide is basically a doorway for people to have a safe space to drop down into this part, the heart, the soul, the spirit beyond the head. We spend so much time in the head. And so my services are related to dropping down into this deeper part of who we are and helping people identify their own answers. I love to tell people that your answer is already inside of you. You don't have to travel to Mount Kilimanjaro to go find your answer. And so I offer executive coaching, meaning I simply work with executives and leaders, whether in the business world, corporate world, education, nonprofit. I also do life coaching. So I help people just with areas of their life. And then I do spiritual coaching. And the funny piece, Stephen, is that people ask me, what's the difference? And I say, it just depends on which doorway someone enters because I provide the same thing. I'm going to talk about slowing down, making space to look inside out and cultivating a knowing of who we really are beyond the exterior. Tell me, what is the type when you talk about these life coaching, executive coaching, how they're all pretty much the same thing, the same theme around kind of what's the profile of the individual that really would need your services in this kind of broad category that we discuss as coaching, where it could be pretty much anything. Like if you love that show, Ted Lasso, he's technically a coach too, right? It could, it could mean a lot of things. I've got to catch up with that show. One of my sons was watching that show this <laughs> summer. I need to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. So you're my next push to watch it. You know, nice. I would <laughs> I would say, yes, what I mean, like when I say executive coaching, life coaching, spiritual coaching, they're all the same in terms of I'm going to help people go deeper because there's so much more. And the ideal or profile client, I really don't have one. I look for people who say they want more. Mm. And then my next question is, if you want more, whatever the more may be, I want more peace. I want more clarity. I want more understanding. Some people have an outer goal. I want more fulfillment in my job. I want to reach a promotion. I want to reach a certain level. And I'll say yes. And the key to all of that is within us. It's inside. So let's talk about what's going on in this space, especially for leaders. Leaders want results. Mm -hmm. And the result you want for your team 
for your organization. And I do change that word organization to organism. And I say, whatever you want for your organism, for your ecosystem, it starts within. And so I look for people who understand and are willing at least to make that shift if they haven't already to look Mm -hmm. deeper place within themselves as opposed to looking at behavior alone. I say all behavior follows beliefs and those beliefs are deep within us. And all of us have been hurt. All of us have blind spots. And so we're going to dive into those areas to help people access their own, what I call like, we each have a powerhouse. We each have this beautiful part of ourselves that knows. And so I'm looking for people who want to access that so that they can flourish and fly as opposed to someone who just wants a short-term Band-Aid solution and then wants to rely on that Band-Aid or that crutch continuously. Mm. I want people who are looking to be able to apply all of this, integrate it into their lives, and then they're ready to put it into practice because this whole journey of life is a practice. So there's a lot right there that you just said. First of all, I've always talked quite a bit about this idea of short-term versus long-term thinking and this deeper dive within the self sounds a lot more long-term than some of these band-aids that you've discussed. I also wonder when you talk about kind of being too much in your head versus going deeper within yourself and you can say your heart or other parts, because it sounds like it goes beyond just the heart, just the feelings. It's even deeper than that. First of all, what does it look like when someone is too much in their head? Well, we all know that experience. I tell my clients, run from anyone who tells you they're a master. I'm not a master. I'm practicing. I share as I grow. Hopefully we're all growing and learning. And so I'll speak about me and many clients understand this principle that when the thoughts are spinning and Mm -hmm. they're just racing and you're not present and practicing presence of here and now. And you're thinking about, okay, what's coming up next? What do I have to go do next? What's my next meeting, my next call? And while you're having a conversation with someone, while you're driving, you don't remember the last five blocks because you're thinking about what else you need to do. You're thinking about what you should have said in the last meeting. Why I didn't say this. I should have done that. Like that's all that head cerebral space. And then it also can be the head space of what do people think about me? Mm. Am I off okay? Am I okay? Do I really belong here? Am I enough? Can I make this happen? What about, is someone better than me? Am I going to be left behind? That spinning, Mm -hmm. that accelerated voice, that's the head. I see. And everyone or nearly every single person on this planet has had an experience with something regards to that. And I feel like adolescence is a time where pretty much everyone's going to experience that because we're all kind of balls of anxiety at that point in our lives. We're all wondering, Am I wearing the right shoes? Am I yes. going to the right places? Am I saying the right things? Are people going to like me? And that language of, I need to figure it out. I got to figure this out and solve this. I need to fix this. And so that's another head space language. And there's nothing wrong with solving issues that arise. I just simply ask, do we spend time deep down within ourselves and listen to that quiet part of ourselves that gives us cues, sometimes in that moment, sometimes just that taking time to be quiet and listen. And then maybe it's later while we're walking the puppies or the dogs that Mm -hmm. all of us can be answer rises to the surface for us or while we're washing dishes or while I'm doing something mundane, that answer may rise up where I'm able to like, that's the clarity. That's that 
component that I was looking for, that connection that makes me feel like I've accessed something deeper than just the outer answer. Hmm. So that's what I mean about the difference between the cerebral. It could be frenetic and fast, or it can be an idea I need to analyze and figure it out. And we spend so much time trying to solve there. And I say, make space for like down in the heart, because ultimately, and this is a shift for our culture, especially Western U.S. culture, where we grew up in that just do it age. Let's just get it done. It's about the results. Go faster, go harder, no pain, no gain. What are mm-hmm. you doing? What's your next goal? What's your next mount? What did yep, you have? All those things. <laughs> we're so in that. And then for us to switch and say, well, what do we care about? Yeah. And is my head in service to what my inner essence, my inner heart is saying? And I feel like that's a source of alienation for a lot of people because I was just recently reading more about Amazon's labor practices and those seem to be all about how fast you do this compared to all your peers. And if you're the slowest, you're going to get talking to. And also a little bit more of this obsession with performance metrics, performance ratings, performance, all these things. And it is really ingrained into our culture. So it seems like it's hard to really go against the grain. But the whole conversation also reminds me of people who often will say to me things like, I get my best ideas when I'm in the shower. Or in my case, I oftentimes get my best ideas when I'm riding a bicycle or recently driving across the state of Nebraska because your hands are too occupied for you to pick up these phones that we all have that are constantly there to relieve us from the first microsecond of uncomfortable boredom we can possibly encounter. And at that point in time, it gives us a chance to synthesize all the information that we already have in our head. You're absolutely right. I did a lot and I still do some service around schools and helping out with volunteering and forward work. And I remember because of that, I've sat through numerous commencement speeches. And so one of the commencement speeches that stands out is a speaker who talked to the young Coloradan students and said, when you go away and when you go to college, when you get that feeling that I'm lonely and I should be doing something, there's just something wrong and I want to just distract myself. He said, instead of picking that up, like you said, to remember and close your eyes and picture these beautiful mountains wherever you are. Close your eyes and remember the mountains and remember that it's that quiet space, the uncomfortable part of a mountain where climbing it or falling, but we remember it's still there. The stability is still in us. And so I equate that to slow down so we can ground. And why are we really here, all of us, breathing mm. in oxygen on this one planet and this season together? Why are we here? What are we here for? And to tap into just a little inkling of that to give us a bigger connection to why I'm doing anything. Why are we here? It's so simple. It's a quick question, but you're right. People can interpret that very differently. If I were, say, going to a sales job and I'm selling, I don't know, cars, yes. I can easily say, why am I here? I'm here to sell cars. And that's a very surface level. And you talk a lot about presence. And it sounds like that's like a major key to formula for going beyond the surface level. Why am I here? I'm here to sell cars. Well, then it's only about the cars. And do the cars really themselves bring you that satisfaction as opposed to 
some sort of a deeper purpose as to, well, what made me want to come to this place and sell cars for a living? Exactly. Regardless of where we may be. And I quote a lot from Rumi, one of my favorite mystic poets. And he says, wherever you stand, be the soul of that place. And I love that quote because it's a reminder that wherever we are, we're called to be the light, to be the consciousness, to be the presence, to be the peace, to be the joy, to be the connection to that there's more happening than the surface, but the surface is extremely distracting. It's vivid and loud and seductive and calling our name. And there's so much draws into the surface and spend so much time about the surface. And every situation, there's more going on than what we can see. So there's the visible. And then I say the invisible is inside the inner visible, the invisible is what we want to make space to connect with and understand and understand that there's more. Mm -hmm. What's the key to being present, being really there in the moment you're in, as opposed to thinking about what you did last and what you're doing next, or thinking about the specifics of a performance metric or even the shape of a tree or something like that? What's the key to being really in that state of presence where you're fully there, where how do you put it again? You, you are the light. Yeah, you're a light. You're a, a consciousness. There's more that we are. We can connect with that. You know, whether it's in a relationship, because relationships occupy a lot of our bandwidth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful. We can get lost on the outer part of a relationship. And we forget that the first relationship is our relationship with ourselves. Like, what's my relationship? Mm. Do I know who I am? And that's a question we can continually ask. That's not a question I asked like five years ago. Okay, I got my answer. I'm good now. I know who I am. It's a question that we ask continually because we're evolving and growing and it's not a one and done question. How do we make that shift and come into this place? Stephen, that's a really interesting question. I'll talk about myself because I say I have a master's and a doctorate in the outer. I was raised to care about the outer, to perform, to be the good girl, to do well. I could study a a scenario, study a situation. Okay. It was like, what do I need to do? Okay. These are the factors. Okay. Let me put those into play and let me do that. And I'll give you that back. And then I would many times get this great pat on the head that kept me addicted to that because it was like, people loved it. And I'm like, oh, it feels so good. I've got another pat on the head. Like I just like that feeling was addictive. And I talk about, I was addicted to the affirmations, outer affirmations. I was addicted to like outer adoration and acceptance. And I had all these A's. I don't know. What are some other A's? Affirmation, adoration, acceptance. Approval. Approval. Yes. All of those A's. Like I lived in the land of the A's and I was all about getting that. And it, make life, as you can imagine, when you're seeking all of that, super rocky because you can't sustain it. So you have these highs, but they're fleeting and they don't really last. And you're chasing the next one and you got to chase the next one and the next one. So you're never fully right here. You're always thinking about what do I need to do so I can be somewhere else to get something else and I'm not fully right here. 
So mm-hmm. I apply the same principle when I'm working with people related to equity and inclusion. It's like we need to get to where are my beliefs? That's where my beliefs were, Stephen, about the outer mattered more than the inner. Mm-hmm. And so to get to the inner, sometimes it takes a shakeup. My shakeup, I've had many, so I can't identify just one shakeup. I think I was probably like about 25 and I was married and I was married for, gosh, from October. And by March, I had moved out. And by summer, I was no longer officially married. And it was all during a time where I was a public figure, a a news anchor on TV. My wedding was on television. So people were still congratulating me wherever Mm -hmm. I went. And I said, the pain of what I was dealing with on the inside finally got so intense that I didn't care who thought what. I didn't care what people said about me. I didn't care about what people made me gossiping. I didn't care about any of that. All I wanted was peace. And I remember my first night in an apartment by myself. And I had this experience, Stephen, where I said, oh my gosh, it's so quiet. This is so amazing. And when I would go outside and I walked the dog I had during that time, I would say, clouds are phenomenal. If you really look at them, they're constantly kind of moving. And man, these are the most interesting shapes. Gosh, no shape is identical. And then I would walk the dog down in the grass, like blades of grass. They all look the same, but if you really look closely, they're each different. And how amazing, they kind of all grow at the same level. When you cut it, it kind of grows like almost around the same point, but not quite. And then they cut it and it comes back like grass is amazing. So I had this piece to like, well, all of a sudden I wanted to look at the minutia and the details. And it helped me look within me eventually to say, wow, how did I create such pain for myself by entering a relationship where I did not listen to my inner quiet voice that told me this was not for me. Mm. And I did it anyway, because the outer world was saying, but you planned all this. You have a wedding. It's going to be on TV. You bought a big dress. It's going to be outside in the casino. And I asked all my shallow friends on purpose, Stephen, because I didn't want an answer. And they all reminded me, oh, it's just jitters when I said, I just don't feel. It's just jitters. Yep. And they're like, it's just jitters. I'm like, yeah, it's just jitters. And I did not seek a person with depth because I was running from the truth. And the truth was, you're going to need to deal with, you've got yourself into something that's not for you Hmm. because you're not listening. And that was my lesson. first really big wake up lesson of listen here. And I feel that that's a version of this story has actually played out on a few other podcasts that I've recorded earlier in the series that you have this deep inner feeling and people find different ways of running away from it. For some people, it's excessive retail shopping. For others, it's alcohol, drugs. And for others, it's just staying excessively busy to the point where it's like, I'm doing this at 8.15, I'm doing this at 8.30, I'm doing this at 8.45 which is the world I come from being originally from New York. And really, it seems like it's a race for a lot of people. Like you have this deep inner dissatisfaction feeling and some people are actually able to run away from it for pretty much the rest of their lives. Yeah, our culture makes it so easy to stay distracted. We can stay distracted in perpetuity if we wanted to. Like there's always something there, especially with the advent of, these phones, there's always something that can be calling for us. We can always even feel needed, like the world needs me. So I was taking my youngest son off to school recently 
And I was exhausted afterwards, so many stairs and so many boxes and pieces. And so anyway, I'm finally back in the Airbnb resting. It's not quite time for me to leave. And I'm in that in-between state where I'm resting and the TV is on. I guess I don't know what they, they did a new version of Fantasy Island. Oh, a reboot? Yeah, I guess it's Mr. Wark or I forget, was it Mr. Mr. Wark's niece or something's running Fantasy Island now? Oh, yeah. It's just kind of like Fuller House. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm tired to even turn the channel. I had just turned it on because it was super quiet in this Airbnb. And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for the quiet yet because I'm still like a little sad that I left, you know, the youngest one is off. Well, I'm in and out at the message of this little crazy fantasy island that I'm half asleep and half listening to is saying to this woman who steps through the door and she sees herself in a casket. And the woman, when she comes back, she talks to the Mrs. Bork or niece Bork and she tells her, it's because you're doing so much for everybody else that you're not making time for you. She says back, but they need me. And the answer is like, no, but do they really? And we can live in this realm, whether people are running companies, whether it's their family, whether it's their friends, where that's another seductive distraction from coming within is saying, but everybody else needs me. So I'm taking care of everybody else. I'm available for everyone else. But what we're not doing, and I definitely have t-shirts and bumper stickers on that one too. But can I look in here and deal with what scares me? What am I afraid of? Where have I been hurt? And I'm afraid of being hurt again. Even deeper than that, what do I want? Not what do I want superficially, but what do I want? What matters to me? What do I really care about? All this reminds me of a book that I read about maybe five or six years ago. And this is an old sociological book from, I think, the year 1950 called The Lonely Crowd, which... I read about the history of this, and this book was actually taught and talked about quite a bit in the 1950s and 60s, but somehow fell out of favor probably around the late 60s. And the basic premise of this book, and I'm blanking on who the author was, was that there's a difference between other direction and inner direction. And other direction is exactly those A words that you were talking about before. Approval, acceptance, all those things. You're just looking for your whatever from outside as opposed to from within, which is inner direction. Yes. And would you say that's one of the things you really help people with is achieve that inner direction? Yes. I want them to re-center. So it's the transformation and the shifting from focusing on the outer, focusing on the thought realm. And I say thoughts aren't real, but we treat them as though they're real and we hang on to one. And then we build a whole case around that thought. We look for evidence to keep that thought in play. And then on top of that, we have this beautiful ego, which is doing its part. But often it's a little inaccurate, often very inaccurate. And it's Mm -hmm. attempt to protect us. It says, no, don't do this. Remember what happened last time. It's going to happen again. And it creates a really inflated story and we buy it. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's going to happen again. And we forget that part of living is this vulnerability. And so helping people accept the unknown, to accept our vulnerability, and to accept that anything we truly experience that matters is going to ask us to keep our heart and ourselves wide open. And we may be hurt. All those things we close off quite frequently to avoid pain, to avoid discomfort, to avoid rejection. 
Yes. And to fully live and then to develop this sense of efficacy that I'm never able to control the outcome. So controllers, and I used to be a controller too, and my kids remind me when I come back, whenever I'm stressed and stress enters and I had left and at the old wiring pops back in and I hear my voice sounding like a drill sergeant. I want this picked up. I want this put away. That's my cue to like, I need to go into my room, light a candle, recenter and breathe to remind myself like what's really agitating you right now is you want an outcome. And remember, whenever you're focusing on an outcome, this part of you wants to try to utilize its skills to manipulate the outcome. That's never sustainable. It's not going to provide peace. Slow down. Let's breathe and stop resisting. Shoulders come down, breathe, accept what is, listen, and remember that I am okay. And inside of me is every answer at every moment. I have nothing to fear. It's all okay. It makes sense that I may feel scared right now. It makes sense that I may want to resist this based on what I've gone through. It makes sense that I want to try to go back to that groove because that's what I was raised in. And yet I have this beautiful choice right now. And I know enough now to say. It's not ostracizing yourself for having fallen into some of these traps as some people will tend to do and create a whole nother self-ostracism cycle. Like, how could I have fallen into this trap? How could I have fallen into this trap yet again? How could I have backslid yet again? And I had a recent period where earlier this year, I had cut down my screen time on my phone to under two hours a day quite consistently. And I had a backslide on that. And I'm really trying right now to say, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up. Like, except like, there's a reason I have this fear. There's a reason I went into this, but now I just need to recenter myself and get right around what I really need to be feeling, allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing those answers I have inside myself to come out once I stop distracting myself constantly. Yes, I am a believer and a proponent in making space for more gentleness. We have a lot of abrasiveness in this culture. I was raised in an atmosphere where my weapon of choice was sarcasm. So I participated in a lot of violence through sarcasm. One-liners. I tell a story of how our family was in Mexico when my kids were much younger. And I had given them permission from early on because I want to create a new experience, a new ecosystem. And if you catch me saying something sarcastic, you get to call me on it. Mm -hmm. So I bring it to awareness because it's not something I want duplicated. It's not something I want to continue in. And I don't want to make excuses for it. Mm -hmm. So we were in the car and we were headed to the beach. And one of my sons says, are we going to the beach? And instead of me saying, yes, I said, well, why do you think we have our beach clothes on? Mm -hmm. And so my son looked like, mom, you did it. Sarcasm. And both of them kind of tag teamed and they're like, yep, she could have just said yes. All she needed to say was yes. Instead, she said, why do you think we're going to the beach? That wasn't needed because that is hurtful to say that. All you need to say to someone, mom, is yes, we're going to the beach. And I use that example because it's so vivid in my memory and they're like way older than that now. And the community of having people there for me who love me and they weren't berating me. But they were also called at me on it and saying, mom, that was an example of it. And here's what it could look like. And it's the replacement picture that's key. 
the gentleness is so huge because when we judge anyone, it's rooted in when we judge ourselves. And to lose that judging of ourselves, we need that deep nourishing and compassion and kindness and gentleness. I say it's the love from me to me. Do I know how to do that? I may know how to love and give to others. Do I know how to give to me and receive from me? It's that relationship. Can I love and give from me to me with gentleness and not judgment? When a baby's learning to walk, do we say, what's wrong with you, baby? Why are you falling down? How dare you fall down? You better be walking by now. We're gentle. We're like, oh, look at the baby. Oh, he bounced. Okay, like, oh, yeah, baby. We're not like, how dare you fall? What's wrong with you? But you're walking already. Why are you, you know, gentleness. That gentleness is important. And now that my audience has gotten a pretty good idea of the types of things you preach in your coaching service, how would anyone listening today be able to get a hold of you? What's your web address or is there any other way that people would inquire if coaching around becoming more present in life? Yes, I work a lot with the principle, like everything we're talking about today, it's under that umbrella of the flow as opposed to things that are fixed. So I offer flow courses that sometimes I run group ones that you can find online. I also do a flow certification program. So people want to become certified and understanding these principles of the flow to share in whatever their vocation might be. And I, you know, we've talked about this, like we all have so many things we do. Coaching is one side. I'm a producer filmmaker with my husband on another side. We do so much. And so whether it's one-on-one, whether it's group, whether it's a course, whether it's certification, I'm not as active on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, Mishonda Lindsay. You can find me on Facebook, Mishonda Lindsay. You can find me on Instagram, Mishonda Lindsay. And coincidentally, my website is Mishonda Lindsay. Now that's a mouthful, Stephen. Yep. So I don't yeah. need to spell that out for people, but um, it's like, but it's Mishonda. Go ahead. So the link will be on the website, but not everyone listening is going to the website. So it's probably a good idea to just spell it out so people know what to look for. It's the name that people always mispronounce often. I shouldn't say always, but often mispronounced. But the best way to help remember how to spell it and say it is the beginning of Michelle. So M-I-C-H and then A-N-D-A for Mishonda. And then Lindsay is L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. So Mishonda, like Michelle, M-I-C-H-A-N-D-A. And then Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. So MishondaLindsay.com. And I also want to get a chance to touch into some of these other things you do because one of the things I've been saying to a lot of people is we are not just one thing. No human being is just their job. Your job title is not who you are and you have some other endeavors. So you mentioned being an producer with your husband. Tell us a little bit about that endeavor. It's exciting. We are a very eclectic group of people. After the newscasting, I went into a lot of ministry. I am an ordained minister. I don't practice in a formal ministry Mm -hmm. setting anymore. My ministry has evolved the way I have in that I really care less about what people believe in the minutiae. And I care about them knowing that we're connected to one another and Mm -hmm. we're connected to more than just what our eyes can see, that there's more. And that's all I want people to make space for. Like, is there more than what my eyes can see? And so that's a big part of how I incorporate what loosely be called ministry for me is 
what I really believe it's the oneness component. And then the film, because my husband has a legal side and he has the artistic side and we do everything in between. He was a little frustrated, Stephen, that even though he's done a lot of work in the classics, mm-hmm. that he was not being cast in many classical plays. Okay. And that was just like, okay, this African-American man, people weren't able to visualize him. And he's a phenomenal actor. He's won many awards here locally. He's also done work on film and television. And we've chosen to live in Denver to raise our children because people always say, why don't you go to the East Coast or the West Coast? And we're like, we really love raising our kids here. And he says, I'm going to write a film where I don't need to wait for permission from someone else. Mm. So he started writing. And he writes poetry. I call him my renaissance man because he's got an athletic side, an artist side, a poet side. He writes, he draws. I'm his biggest fan, obviously. And he wrote a screenplay. And the most recent screenplay is called Black Face, The Story of Nobody. And you can find that on our website, blackfacemovie.com, all one word, blackfacemovie. And the inspiration behind it, Stephen, was a the real life actor Burt Williams lived back in the 1910s mm-hmm. and before then, but like was really known in that time as a minstrel performer. So he's a black man living in New York, putting on blackface every night and performing this minstrel work. And he was part of the Zigfield Follies after club supper show. Well, he wanted to do serious drama almost in the same way that my husband here wanted to show that I can also do serious drama as an African-American mm-hmm. man and these roles that traditionally were not cast with people of color in mind. We're seeing that change and evolve now, which is lovely. You know, Hamilton and all that. Yeah. So we're seeing an explosion of like how we can change the paradigm about that, which is so awesome. So he wrote this story inspired by Burt Williams with Burt Waters as the man who is Black performing in Blackface each night, who does get the opportunity to perform Shakespeare's Hamlet. However, this theme should sound familiar if you've been listening. He needs to go deeper and find his true worth because it's not about just what can I perform on stage, but I need to go deeper and know who am I? And that's his journey. And I love how oftentimes things that don't seem related to each other at all are often connected. And earlier you said about how he decided I'm going to stop waiting for permission and start doing what I want to do, which is, I think, the struggle that a lot of people, a lot of people listening to the show that maybe have an idea that they want to pursue and are thinking about their current situations at work are also under as well. And it relates to this whole idea of what's essentially this, are you directed outerly or innerly? Are you waiting for someone else's approval, acceptance, all those A words you said before, or are you kind of getting your approval from within, which is what happens whenever you start building anything yourself, whether it be a movie, whether it be a community group, or whether it be your own business, you're pretty much providing your own approval with, in most cases, some level of verification around market research, et cetera. Those are all kind of the different levels of verification, but you're providing your own approval. And it sounds like to provide your own approval, you need to make some version of this transformation, taking a deep breath, looking deeper within, figuring out what it is that you really want and taking care of yourself first, even over all those people that need you. We all have a dream, I say, and these things that come up and we'll blame it on, well, I don't know enough 
people who can help me or I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure. All these, I don't, I'm not. As opposed to like, let's just see. And we're afraid of it may not work out. And like, well, that's life. Life is not about it working out. It's about it unfolding. What do I learn as I go? And if we can begin to change that measurement of success is it needs to be smoothly accomplished without a flaw, as opposed to it's the wonder and the discovery and the journey and how I change and what I learn about me as I'm going through these steps. Peace that also is propelling us in this film is another area of passion of our lives, which is equity and inclusion. I leave out the D word if I can, whenever possible, because diversity, I think just the root of that is divide. But I understand, again, it's a word that we use a lot. So I'll go with it when it's needed. Just for yeah. the <laughs> If I could change it, I would change it to just equity and inclusion and leave out diversity. However, whether we're talking about DEI, EDI, whatever, I say all of that has to do with what we learned. And we as humanity are still learning, I-N-G, how to live and respect and honor and incorporate difference. We yeah. have a humanity fought and oppressed and smothered difference whenever we had an opportunity, whether that was dynasties after dynasties, whether that was this part of the country against another part of the country, whether it was related to gender or religions, race. Today, living in the world where we are and raising sons of color, young men of color, we want them to know like, well, inside of you, is this powerhouse, this goal, you were unlimited. Mm -hmm. And we also are grieved by needing to have conversation with them. This is how you come home at night. This is how you survive in a world that may reduce you to very limited and narrow and just damaging constructs. And those constructs have led to the death of many. Yeah, those preconceptions. Absolutely. And so even with this film and other work that both of us do, we're wanting people to stop and say, is everything I was taught about people who are different than me true? And how about I slow it down and I remember that if I know I am enough, I can begin to make space that everyone is enough and that there's no need to shrink back. And there's also no need to play small or make someone else small in a false attempt for me to feel big, that I can wow. make space. all of us are enough. And so when I approach equity and inclusion workshops, I'm not talking about, let me teach you some new terms and some new techniques. I'm talking about how do we deal with the inner heart of knowing who I am, making space for where I played small and for making space of what did I digest that was given to me? that subconsciously often and sometimes consciously, I had put others and reduced them into something smaller than who they are as well. Wow. And that's a really intense statement, but I think it's something that's inflicting a lot of people. Just anything that encourages people to play small as opposed to play big, which I'm probably fill three more whole episodes listing out every single one of our attitudes, our psychological tendencies and institutions that are doing that, which is really intense. So I just want to say that's probably a great last message to end it all on so that every listener out there knows 
whatever you're doing, and there's a lot of introspection, just remember everything else in the episode, but whatever you're doing that forces yourself to play small or forces other people to play small is the area we need to kind of work on it. I would like to say, Mishanda, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. And thank you to all my listeners for being here and being present. If you've been present, thank you doubly for if you're, you know, some people listen to podcasts while doing 15 other things as well. But if you're really present, a double thank you to you. And I encourage you to stay tuned to Actions Antidotes for more episodes with people who are following their passions, which usually come from at some point realizing from within what they really wanted to begin with. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you.